0: ...series, Following the Master, a study of biblical discipleship. Following the Master, a study of biblical discipleship. It's at least going to be four or five weeks, Lord willing. But today we're going to call our lesson, Discovering the Master. And it's going to be part one of two. Next week we're going to finish this lesson, Discovering the Master. But it's going to be part of our series called, Following the Master. And what we're going to do is in a couple weeks, Pastor Mel is going to talk to us about what it means to actually follow Jesus. So, before we get into that, though, did you ever notice something amazing that you previously overlooked? Consider that question. Did you ever notice something amazing that you previously overlooked? You guys ever have one of those days where it seems like everything fights you? You ever have that? It just seems like everything's a battle, everything's hard. About a year ago, I had one of those days. It just seemed like everything wanted to fight me. And uh, I just remember coming home. It was winter time, so it was dark early. I I like winter a lot, but I really don't like the darkness at 4.30. But I remember coming home in the pitch black night, and it was one of those days. Everything was just hard and frustrating, and I was, I kind of had that frustration feel already. And I remembered as I was driving home that it was garbage night, Uh, because our garbage at our previous house, it came really early in the morning on Thursday morning, so we had to get that garbage out Wednesday night, so it was uh, prepared to be taken, but... um, As I remember that, I I got home and I was like, oh, all right, let's get this garbage out. And it was a really, really cold night. And I generally like the cold, but it was so bitterly cold. you ever seen those cold? It just gets into your, like, bones. It's so bitterly cold. And that's what it was. I was already frustrated. It was a really cold night. It was pitch black. And I had to take the garbage out. And many of you haven't seen our old previous house or driveway, but in our old house, we had a really steep driveway. The garage was at the bottom of the driveway, And I had to drag the cans all the way up this really steep driveway. Generally speaking, that's not a huge deal. But on a day like uh, this very day that I'm telling you about, it was frustrating to think about that. And when I got home, even the garbage fought me. And the garbage started tipping over. The bags didn't want to stay in. The lid was blowing off. And I had to drag that garbage all the way up. It was bitterly cold. It was pitch black. And uh, as soon as I got it to the top of the driveway, guess what happened? Both cans. boom, Boom fell down, the bags fell out, they slid down the driveway, I had to go gather them. And you guys ever do this? I gave like one of those sighs that you want to let the universe know that you're not doing well. You ever get one of those? Like it's kind of like a Christian swear word. I gave one of those sighs to the universe as I collected the garbage again, put it back in and tried to get it you know, precariously situated up there at the top of the driveway. After I eventually got it done, I was just, I was even more frustrated and I was going to enter the house in kind of a bad mood. And that's never good to do to your family. But before I did that, as I was walking down the driveway, I just kind of looked up. And I didn't notice this during the process of taking the garbage out. But as I looked up, it was one of the starriest nights I ever remember seeing. All the stars were out. All the constellations were out. You could see everything. It was like a planetarium. Just every star. And I just remember looking up for the longest time and just stopping and just getting my bearings, getting my perspective back, and just remembering the Lord. And I just looked at the night sky and just thought about how magnificent it was and how magnificent he was, and I confessed my sin, I worshipped him, and it put me in a lot better mood. It got my perspective back to where it should have been. And I lingered there for a while. I did. I lingered there because I needed it. I needed to remember God. I needed to remember his beauty and his magnificence. Did you ever do that? Did you ever notice something that once before you previously overlooked? Well, today it's going to have that kind of tone because we're calling the lesson today, discovering the master, discovering the master. And as you, as you know by now, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles, join us in John, John chapter one, and we're not going to go very far today. Our plan is to do a part two of this next week and Perhaps we'll be in John, perhaps we'll be somewhere else. But we're going to look at verses 1 to 5. But I actually want to read verses 1 to 18 of John. John 1, starting at verse 1, we're going to look up to verse 18. Listen to the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Discovering the Master is the title of our lesson today. We want to help us all understand what it means to follow Jesus. That's the series we're going to be looking at. Following the Master. Do you guys remember the old game, Follow the Leader? Anybody remember that game from your children' childhood or maybe you played it recently as an adult? That's fun. Uh, follow the Leader was a very simple concept. There was a leader. The leader did something and everyone else who was playing did exactly what the leader did. And in case you don't remember how that goes, we're going to show you right now. I'm going to have my children come up. In fact, Elijah, if you want to, you can come up too. Any child can come up right now. We're going to play Follow the Leader for like a minute. And I practice with my children, so hopefully they know what's going on. Mm -hmm. Come on up, kids. Follow the leader. Oh, Titus, Levi, up here, buddy. Follow the leader. Up here. Up here. Come on, Adeline. Come on, Evangeline. Okay, can you guys see this? I don't know if you guys can see the camera. The camera can see the kids, but we're going to play Follow the Leader. You guys remember Follow the Leader? What do you do in Follow the Leader, Haddon? You do exactly what the leader does. Good job. Okay. So, whatever I do for the next 30 seconds or whatever, you do exactly what I do, okay? Are you ready, Titus? Evie, are you gonna come up? Come on up, Evie, don't be shy. Evie, come on up. You wanna (laughs) fall? She's our shy one. You wanna come up? Come here. Come here on the stage. Oh, okay. Come on the stage, okay? Are you guys ready to follow the leader? Do whatever daddy does, okay? Can sit down. See how about that? Follow the leader. Go sit down, guys. Go sit down. Okay. Follow the leader. Go sit down. (laughs) Follow the leader. Right. It was a really simple game, really simple concept. But you understand what the illustration is meaning, or maybe you guys remember the old game, the old basketball game called Horse. Anyone ever played Horse before? One person. Okay. There's a couple. Yeah, you remember Horse? Or back in the Midwest, they called it Pig for some reason. I don't know why, but maybe they can only handle three letters. But horse, (laughs) maybe they just like pigs. Horse was a very simple concept. But you play with a basketball, and the first guy would take a shot. And if he made that shot, everyone else would have to take and make the exact same shot, right? That's the concept of horse. Horse was a fun game. And when I was the leader, I liked to try really hard shots, really difficult shots, so that the people after me couldn't make the shot. The problem is, is I didn't make the shot either. Um, I wasn't very good at horse, but in follow the leader and horse, you had to do something before you actually did something, and that something was very simple. You had to watch. You had to learn what the leader was doing so that you could follow suit and win the game, and unless you study the leader, you're going to lose, and you can tell my children had to notice what I was doing so they could do the exact same thing. Our new summer series, as I mentioned, is called Following the Master, Following the master. In this lesson, we want to learn how to best follow our master, Jesus Christ. We want to guide you and teach you about what it looks like to follow him. To do exactly what Jesus taught us and exactly what Jesus did. See, if our job titles as Christians are to follow Jesus, then we better know the leader. We better know what he is like so we can properly follow him. Because what good is it to have a great understanding, or not have a great understanding, excuse me, of the leader that we profess to follow. There's too many people doing that today. There's too many people saying that I'm a Christian, I follow Jesus Christ, but they don't study the Master. They don't learn from the Master. Even the devil would not waste his time on people like that. Because that's useless. People that say they follow Christ and don't study the Master are accomplishing nothing for the kingdom of God. Do you guys remember that one time I told you about that job I had at uh, Michigan where I worked at Starbucks for a month? And in this job, I don't remember why. I think they just got busy, but they didn't train me, and I had never worked at a coffee shop before. So for a month, I worked at Starbucks and didn't know how to make one drink. I still don't know. I still don't know what goes in a latte. And I was a barista for one month. (laughs) very strange i don't know why they didn't train me they got busy and they just they just kept putting me off so i didn't i didn't learn how to make one drink and it was very frustrating to be a barista without knowing how to make coffee and uh, people they put me in the line and people would ask me hey listen i want i want this kind of coffee and i didn't know how to make it it was very frustrating but our goal as your pastors is to help you follow the leader to train you properly if we're going to expect you guys to follow the leader then we have to lay that before you what that looks like And that's what this summer series is all about. So for the next two lessons that I'm going to preach, we're going to talk about what it looks like to discover the Master, to study him, to learn from him, so that when Pastor Mel comes up and speaks about what it means to follow him, we're all ready. We all know what that means. We're all going to do so. And there's so many passages of Scripture that I could have chosen for this lesson on discovering the Master. But I believe the Spirit of God wants us in John. John chapter 1. In fact, an old minister once said this about the beginning verses of, of John chapter 1. He said the beginning of John 1 should be written in gold letters because of the worth and value of what is said in, these, in this passage. And I think he's right. In the first five verses, which we're going to look at today, they are, there's so much value in looking and studying our master. So we need to pay attention today. We really do. In fact, I would say even if you're not a note taker, today, today would be a day to start. Today would be a day to take notes, to meditate on what is said, to chew on what the Lord teaches us today, and maybe even bring the sermon up again tonight or later in the week and do it again. Because there's so much here. We could take a very exhaustive approach to John chapter 1. It would take a long time, but it would be worth the journey. Or we could fly over it. We could briefly look down at John 1 and we could glean a few things from it. We're probably going to do something in the middle of those two things. Because we want this truth to impact us properly. We need to linger here. Just like I lingered looking at the night sky. It's going to be good for us to linger here in John 1 a little bit. But we cannot possibly unlock all the wonderful treasures in this text in one or two lessons. It's just too vast. It's too big. There's too much here. And so because of that, I'm going to give you all homework. I don't generally do this. I know that's probably a a dirty word, especially for those not in school anymore. You don't want to hear about homework anymore, do you, Elijah? But I'm going to give everybody homework, okay? I want everybody, I want you to go to Target, go to Walmart, get a binder, you know, get some paper, get one of those fuzzy troll pencils, get some decals for your backpack. I want you, this is what I want you to do this week, okay? And I know most of you have regular devotions. I either want you to pause those and study John 1, 1 to 18, seriously, for this next week, or I want you to do it in, in addition of what you're already doing with your devotions. I want us all to study John chapter 1 this week, because by doing this, we will unlock so many more treasures than I can give you in one little lesson. Okay, so that's your homework this week, is study John 1 with a fine-tooth comb, and get as much as you can from it. But to begin today, we're going to begin in the beginning, both in verse 1 of John 1 and in the literal beginning of all things, because that's where John takes us. And before we do this, we have to remember that John is a first-hand witness of Jesus. You know that's a very powerful testimony in a courtroom setting, okay? When someone comes in and says, I was there. I saw it. I experienced it. I am a first-hand witness of what took place. I can tell you all the facts. That's a very powerful testimony. That testimony goes a long way in a courtroom setting. Who better to tell us about Jesus than John? As you know Jesus had 12 disciples. But even in those 12 disciples he had sort of an inner circle. He had 3 guys that were with Jesus even more. Peter, James and John. Wherever Jesus went, those guys were there. If you remember they went up on the Jesus went up on the mountain and transfigured. Peter, James and John were there. John was there at the beginning of Jesus ministry and John was there throughout the entire ministry of Jesus up to when he was crucified and when he was resurrected, and when he ascended back to heaven. John saw everything. So John is a first-hand witness of Jesus Christ. He studied Jesus for three-plus years, and he's going to tell us about what he knows about Jesus Christ. That's why we need to pay attention. There's no one better to tell us about Jesus, besides Jesus himself, than John. So John, at the beginning, he says this. He says, in the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. Why does John say the word? Because I thought we were talking about Jesus. Why does John say in the beginning was the word? What word is he talking about? That sounds pretty important. We need to explore that here for a little bit, okay? Because that sounds pretty important to what John is about to tell us. See, Jesus has many names in scripture. Many names. He has Jesus. He is the Messiah. He is Christ. He is the Lamb of God, the light of God. The names go on and on. And one of his names in scriptures is the word, but it's not a common one. It only comes up a couple times. And John tells us that Jesus is the Word. But how do we know he's talking about Jesus Christ? How do we know that's what he's referring to? Well, notice the language in the last part of verse 1. It says, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's, It's pretty easy to tell that he's talking about more than a language, or even more than the copy of the scriptures that we're holding today. He's talking about something incredibly profound. He is talking about... Jesus. And the way that we definitely know that is the beginning of verse 2 when he says he he was in the beginning with God. Now we know John is definitely talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. But why does John call him the Word? Why does he, why does he call him the Word? How can Jesus be a language? How can Jesus be words? John is not calling Jesus a language. Nothing here is meant to demean the Lord Jesus Christ. On the contrary, John is actually using the strongest verbiage he can find to help us understand who Jesus actually is. He's helping us discover the Master. By calling Jesus the Word, he's telling us that Jesus embodies the very essence, the very will, and the very character of God. He embodies the very essence, the very will, and the very character of God, this Jesus. And Jesus is the physical manifestation of God upon the earth because no one ever saw God, right? No one has seen God in his glory. No man upon the earth, no creature upon the earth has seen God in his glory. But tens of thousands, maybe millions of people saw Jesus the word. And because of that, they did see God. Because John says Jesus is God. He's the very essence, the very will, the very character of God. By seeing Jesus, you did see God. Saying that Jesus is the word means that God's will and purpose was with us upon the earth. If you remember, one of Jesus' other names is called Emmanuel. And the name Emmanuel means God with us. God with us. That's what the name Emmanuel means. So John is saying by calling him the word that he's the very will of God. He's the very purpose of God that has come to this earth to be with us. The very God of the universe was upon this earth in the person of his son. Now I want you to imagine if someone really famous came to your town. Like Joe Schnedeker or Kurt Aaron. No, I'm just teasing. Actually, Kurt Aaron was our neighbor at our last house. Did you guys know that? I lived next to Kurt Aaron, so I always knew the weather. <laughs> no, what if someone really famous came? Like the president, okay? What if someone really famous came to your town, regardless of how you feel about that person? If someone was famous, that famous, that would be special. They came to your town, and in this situation, they were going to come to your house. Your house for dinner, for a picnic, for whatever. They were going to come to your house. Do you think you'd act a little bit differently that day? Do you think that day would be a little bit more unique, a little bit more special if someone as the president, someone really famous, was coming to your house? You see, Jesus, the Son of God, from heaven, came and lived upon this earth in human form for 33 years. And John says that Jesus is the very Word of God. He wants that to hit us. He wants us to hit us that Jesus is not just a guy with radical ideals or figured out God. Jesus is God upon this earth. And he wants that to hit us because he's saying, listen, this is how important this Jesus is. If we knew and feared God and Jesus was upon the earth as the son of God, how do you think we'd treat Jesus? If we knew God, if we loved God, if we feared God, and his son came to this earth and dwelt among us, do you think we'd pay attention to him? Do you think we'd get close to him? Do you think we'd want to learn from him? Do you think there would be a lot of things we could glean from the son of God? And John was one of those people. And he says, Jesus is so much like God that he is God. He's so much like God that Jesus is God. And I know you've heard that before. But you cannot be more God than Jesus. You cannot be more God than Jesus, and that doesn't mean we're knocking down God the Father. God the Father is still God, and God the Father is even higher than Jesus because Jesus is the Son, God is the Father. Jesus is on his right hand in the throne of heaven, but God is on the throne in heaven. That's not to knock down God the Father as that God is not God, but Jesus is God as well. He's so much like his Father that he's God. He's the very essence, will, and character of God. But Jesus also has a God. Listen to John chapter 20, bumping ahead several chapters. Listen to what Jesus says. In verse 17, he said, it said, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father. Listen to this, to my God and to your God. So Jesus is God, but it's also true and right to say that Jesus has a God, his Father. But Jesus is so much like his father that to have Jesus, to know Jesus, is to lose nothing from the father. If you know Jesus, you know God. If you love Jesus, you love God. He's the very same in every way. Now, my dad, Pastor Mel, and I are somewhat alike. We are somewhat alike because we have similar DNA. We are both creatures of habit, both dad and I. Once we find something we like, we stick to it. No matter what, we go to the restaurant, we get the exact same thing every time, because what, what if something's not as good? Uh, so we're both creatures of habit, we have the exact same meal, the exact same routine every single day of our lives. We both struggle putting things together, we found that out through a neck injury, <laughs> through a vicious neck injury. Um, we both have as many handy skills as an intelligent ape probably does. Um... Uh, so, and, so we're similar. We both can't sing. I mean, there's a lot of things. Why are there so many things we can't do? <laughs> now that I'm thinking about it, I go, man, those are all negative things. Um, but there's a lot of things that my dad and I are, are very similar in. We're almost the same. But we're also different enough that you can easily tell us apart, right? My dad is 6'6". I'm 6'1". I mean, that's five inches difference. My dad has all his hair. His hair is gray. My hair is scraps of hair, and it's brown. <laughs> We even have different preaching styles. If you listen to us preach, there's even different styles, but they're both awesome, right? Okay. Glad we got that covered. See, Dad and I have a lot of similarities, but we also have several differences that make you able to tell us apart. But God and Jesus are the very same in every sense that it means to be God. In every sense that it means to be God, God is God and Jesus is God. And the God the Father wants it this way. Listen to this passage that I've referenced before from Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews 1, verses 1 to 4 says this, Long ago at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. You see, it was God's, God the Father. It was his will for Jesus to be in the highest position imaginable. This is the Father's will. Jesus did not usurp his Father. Okay? God the Father gave this position to Jesus. Now, you know that my dad is a very skilled teacher, okay? He's a very skilled teacher. He's a very skilled leader and counselor, and I mean that, genuine. He is a very skilled man in many ways in ministry, and he's an amazing pastor, and I hope you know how privileged you are to have my dad leading us because he's very well sought out in many uh, respects. My dad has been that way for, for as long as I can remember. But my dad was not called to be the lead pastor of Wyoming Valley Church. I was. And my dad is very comfortable with that. My dad was, obvious, was an obvious consideration to be pastor of Wyoming Valley Church after Pastor were stepped down, but it wasn't the will of the Lord. So that means you guys got me. Sorry about that. Uh, I'm just teasing. No, God ordained it that way. God ordained it that my dad, Mel Walker, along with the deacons, were going to sign off that I should be your lead pastor. And my dad did something unique. He actually placed himself in a position underneath his son as my assistant pastor which is a very humbling thing to do. And that's similar to what we're talking about here, only God the Father did not lose his position of God in the universe. Okay, he didn't have to do that. God did not lose his position as God of the universe. But he vaulted and, and, and made Jesus the highest position imaginable. It was God's will for Jesus to be his only begotten Son, and it was also God's will for Jesus to be our Savior and our Lord so there's nothing wrong with giving praise to, to Jesus. There's nothing wrong with singing to Jesus. There's nothing wrong with praying to Jesus. There's nothing wrong with using the strongest verbs and language you can to exalt Jesus. Because God put him there. God put Jesus there. Because Jesus obeyed the will of God by coming to the earth and dying on the cross, God gave Jesus everything. He said, it's all yours, son. It's all yours. You did my will. You glorified my name. You redeemed my people. It's all yours. And the very name Jesus actually means Lord of Lords, King of Kings, Savior of the world. That's what the name Jesus means. That's a very important name that Jesus received. So we cannot overemphasize Jesus. Do you know that? It's impossible. It's impossible to overemphasize Jesus. Who else can that be said of? You could say that about anybody. Anybody can be overemphasized. Anybody can be praised too much. Anything, you've heard that before, right? Everything in moderation. Because even good things, if you have too much of that good thing, it could be damaging. But you can't do that with Jesus. You can never have too much. You can never overemphasize Jesus. He is everything and God wants it that way. Philippians 2, 9 through 11 is where we find this when it says, After what Jesus did, it says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. God wants it that way. God the Father gave him that position. He's saying to us today, give Everything you have to my son. And when you do so, you glorify my my name as well. You glorify God as well. You don't have to go 50-50, okay? You don't have to feel weird about giving Jesus too much praise. God set it up that way. And they're so linked. There's so much togetherness with God and Jesus that when one gets glory, the other one gets glory. So Jesus' entire life, his entire ministry, who did he give glory to? The Father, He gave glory to the Father. And by doing so, Jesus received glory as well. Jesus is the heir of all things. He's going to receive an inheritance in heaven that is second to none. Jesus is everything. And to claim anything less is to steal his rightful glory and position that his Father gave to him. Guys, may it never be that we lump Jesus along with anyone else. He's not meant to be lumped with anyone or anything else. There is no one like Jesus. He has no rivals. He has no equals. He has no peers. He is the only Word, Son of God, Lamb of God, Creator, Sustainer, and Savior of the world. He's holy, which means there's none like Jesus, not his equal. John tells us that Jesus was in the beginning. Now, that's familiar language to us because I know you have heard this passage before. So we don't really bat an eye at that verse, but think about that. It kind of hurts the brain to think about. How can Jesus be there before anything existed? Nothing exists, but Jesus is there. (laughs) And I want you to try to imagine what the world looked like according to Genesis 1-2. It says, The earth was without form, and void and darkness was over the face of the deep the earth was was without form and void and the word void means nothingness there was nothing it was darkness and void and without form there was nothing in the beginning nothing but the word was there jesus was there and not only was he there, he's the reason we have anything at all. Anything that's here that is good is a credit to Jesus. Because look at verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Why are we here? I mean, honestly, that's a, that's a question scholars are trying to figure that out. Why are we here? Why do we exist? How did we get here? We just discovered it. We discovered it in one verse. Jesus created us. Jesus, the Son of God, created you and me and everything that is good upon this earth. Do you think about that throughout your day? Honestly, do you think about that like me uh, staring at the night sky? Do you think about Jesus is your creator and your sustainer each and every day? You're not here unless Jesus says so. And I mean that at the beginning and I mean that every single day of your life. You're not here unless your creator says so. In fact, it's impossible to have anything without Jesus, the word, creating it by God's will and God's power. And I told you that night I neglected the night sky. And I do that many nights. I do that many times. I neglect creation. I neglect the beauty of God's handiwork. But neglecting Jesus is the ultimate crime. Neglecting the Son of God is heinous because he's the very reason we live. He's the very reason we were created. And TGD read that. It says we were created by Jesus And for Jesus. And we need to think about that more. I want you to do something for me right now. Take your hand and study your hand for a moment. Okay? I know, seriously. Look at your hand for a moment. Wiggle the fingers around. Do you know how complex the human hand is? Do you know how complex the human hand is? The finest watchmakers in all the world who have the greatest skill and put the most determination and discipline into making their watches would never, ever claim that their watches can hold a candle to the complexity of the human hand. The human hand is so complex and perfect. And even scientists would attest to that. Or what about the mind that controls the hand? What about the mind that controls the movement of the hand? I want you to, to consider the human brain. Even scientists say that one human brain is more complex than the entire universe. I mean, think about that for a moment. When I looked at that starry sky, I thought, man, how big, how grand, how vast, how complex it is. And even scientists say the brain is so complex, we think it's the most complex thing in the entire universe. That's according to nationalgeographic.com. There are things happening in the human brain right now that go beyond the capacity for us to understand them. That's how complex the human brain is. In other words, our brains are so complex, our brains can't even compute it. That's how complex our brains are. The brain staggers the smartest scientists. They can't figure out how it's so complex. Because it is. So how did you and I get the most complex thing in the entire universe upon your body? How did you get that? How did you get that hand? How did you get that brain? The whole universe is basic and plain when compared to your body. How did that happen? Did you construct your body... Did you have any say in the creation of it, like a producer and a director of a film? Did you sign off on it once it was completed and agree to manage that body? Where did you come from, and why are you so complex and so special? See, as correct as modern scientists are in saying that one human mind is more complex than the entire universe, and they're right, they're off their rockers when they say that matter exploded in space, evolved for billions of years, and here we are. Now, I'm sorry, I'm a man who likes logic. I really do. I love logic. I like to think things in the brain work a certain way and have a certain degree of thought process. Uh, But regardless of faith in Jesus, that's ludicrous. (laughs) That's a ludicrous thought. Because all you need to know is the complexity of how you're designed. And it points to the creator. Okay, a simpleton can even think that. Go, wow, I am so complex. I am so... Wonderful and special. And when we go through the, the process of having children and we, for nine months we get to study how a baby is born, man, it, I just worship. Because I'm thinking, man, it's so complex. It's so beautiful. In fact, when our twins were born, they were born at 31 weeks. And if you know anything about babies, they're supposed to be in the mommy for 40 weeks. And you would say, well, with the modern technology and science we have today, maybe it's better for the child to be out of the womb as soon as possible. Maybe we can better the body of the mom, and every single doctor would say, no, that's not true. It's much more safe, much better for the baby, for them to stay in the mommy's womb as long as humanly possible. And that's what they tried to do with our twins. They tried to do medicine and things like that to keep them inside of Janine, because when they came out, it was dangerous. And they had modern technology and modern science. They had a place called the NICU where nurses were looking over them with 24-7 care. And yet the mom's womb was the perfect place for them to be. Guys, I know I'm talking to the choir here. I know I'm preaching to the choir here. But anyone with a working brain and a somewhat soft heart would agree that we are crafted and created by someone magnificent. I have a picture of a, I think it's a pocket watch up there. What kind of lunatic would look at a pocket watch that they found on the sidewalk? Pick it up and study it and go, wow, that's some pretty cool matter that exploded. Wow, that must have evolved over billions of years. That's amazing. I'm glad that I found this. No, they would look at the back of the watch, they'd find who designed it, who made it, and they'd receive, and that person would receive the glory for it. The creator of the universe wanted us to be more special than the entire universe. And I want that to hit you today because you're special. You're more special to God than the universe, because he said he's gonna roll the world up like a scroll one day. But you, if you're in Christ, you're gonna live for on. In, for, for, forever, on and on into eternity, because we're made in his image. And if we are that complex, and we are, if we are that complex and we are the clay, imagine how complex, beautiful, and unique the potter of the clay must be. See, it's baffling once, to, once you start considering Jesus, it's baffling to consider his beauty and his complexity. Because you eventually have to stop thinking about it. He's so vast. He's so magnificent. But it's good for us. Because as little attention and love as we give Jesus sometimes, we should give him so much more. We are literally being held together right now by his very word. That's why I'm here. That's why I breathe. That's why you breathe. Hebrews 1.3 once again says, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word God Of his power. I mean, just awe at that sentence, at that phrase. He holds the universe by the word of his power. He doesn't even flex, he doesn't even lift his arm. He says it, and we exist and we consist. In other words, we owe our every breath to Jesus. Every breath. To think otherwise is to deny the existence and plan of our Creator. And to take you even one level deeper than that, I want you to think about this with me. Okay, when Jesus was crucified by the Roman guards, how did they have the strength to do that? By Jesus. Think about that. Jesus gave them the strength to crucify him. Their power, their oxygen was provided by the Son of God. Wow, I mean that's... Mind-blowing to think about. It's almost too deep to think about. Take your Bibles and turn to Isaiah chapter 45. Isaiah chapter 45, I just want to read a portion here. Verses 5 to 13. Isaiah 45, I don't think this one's on the screen. Isaiah chapter 45, starting in verse 5, it says, I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me there is no God. I equip you though you do not know me that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Shower, O heavens, from above and let the clouds rain down righteousness. Let the earth open that salvation and righteousness may bear fruit. Let the earth cause them to both both to sprout. I am the Lord and I have created it. Woe to him who strives with him who formed him, a pot among earthen pots. Does the clay say to him who forms it, why, what are you making? Or your work has no handles? Woe to him who says to a father, what are you begetting? Or to a woman, with what are you in labor? Thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel and the one who formed him, ask me of things to come. Will you command me concerning my children in the work of my hands? I made the earth and created man on it. It was my hands that stretched out the heavens, and I commanded all their host. I have stirred him up in righteousness, and I will make all his ways level. He shall build my city and set my exiles free, not for price or or reward, says the Lord of hosts. Our Lord Jesus is the God of the universe, and there is no other. He's the creator, he's the king, and bowing to him should be obvious. If there was a president or a king, someone like that, we would give them the respect they deserve. The king of kings deserves every ounce of worship and adoration we can give him. In John, back to our normal passage, in John 1 verse 4 it says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Further proving that Jesus is God, John tells us that Jesus was life. Do you ever ask questions in your mind such as, what is life? What is it? Where does life begin? Where does life end? See, there was a time that you and I didn't exist, and today, right in this moment, we're all sitting here, breathing oxygen, using our complex brains to think about the Lord Jesus Christ. And one day, the life's going to pass from us, okay? And we're going to be buried in a grave. Those who are in Christ will live forevermore, and everyone else will, will simply die. So where does life come from? That's another question scientists are trying to figure out. Where does life start? Where does it come from? What, how does it get here? And John tells us quite simply where it comes from. It comes from our creator. It comes from the author and giver of life. Life is not a mystery, if you know Jesus. The mystery is solved. For scientists, they're still trying to figure it out. Where does life begin? How does life happen? We understand cells and things, but where does life happen? And it comes from our creator. Without Jesus, life never happens. Without Jesus, there is no life. John says that life is the light of men. See, life right now is coursing through your veins, through my veins. The body moving and functioning and thinking and feeling things, that's life. The person that has life also has a light within them. That's what scripture says. When their life ends, their light goes out. When you die, your light goes out. Except for those who have eternal life, then their light lives on and on and on. But everyone else's light is going to go out like an old light bulb. When they die, the light goes out because their life is gone. And John tells us that the life and the light that comes from within us is from Jesus Christ. It's from Jesus. And that light is so powerful and so profound that this light within me, from Jesus, defeats the darkness. It defeats the armies of Satan. The light that is within me and within you through Jesus is so powerful, Satan wants nothing to do with it. He's too weak compared to the light that's within us. Because the darkness wants to overcome the light. You know that, right? The darkness wants to overcome the light, but it cannot. The only only fight the devil really wants is when you're not near the light. When you're on your own. He'll take you one-on-one without the light next to you. But when the light is there, he has to leave because that's too much strength for him to handle. Do you notice that? For you to win, be near Jesus. We did this other game with my children the other day, and I had them turn all the lights off, and are downstairs, and you got, everybody's got a flashlight on their phone now. And, and I brought the flashlight out, and I said, notice the darkness. I said, notice the darkness. Notice it on the wall and on the carpet, on the ceiling. And I said, as soon as I put the light somewhere, the darkness goes away, whether it's the ceiling or the carpet. As soon as I put the light there, the darkness runs away. And that's a good illustration for what happens when the light is within us and we use that light against the devil, the devil flees. He's out of there. It's too much strength. He can't handle it. See, that this very moment, the devil is trying to get in the way of us understanding this and appreciating this because he knows if we get the light and we use the light, he's in trouble. If we get the light, if we understand that we have the light and we use the light against him, he's going to run away from us. So he has to get in the way now. Don't let it see. Don't let it take shape. Otherwise, I'm in trouble. And listen to what it says in Hebrews 4.12 about Jesus the Word. Listen to the power. And remember, Jesus is the Word. So listen to this. Verses 4, or chapter 4, verses 12 of Hebrews says, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. How powerful is our Lord? How powerful is our Lord? He raises the dead. The darkness is in big trouble against Jesus Christ. Are you on his team? Are you on the team of light? If so, you have that power as well. You do, and I do. See, we're not really studying the words of John the Apostle here. John is just a mouthpiece, John is a medium, John is a conduit. If you will, we're studying the word of God here today. Okay, this is not John's opinion. This was given to John by the light, by the word. And if we receive this word today, darkness is being chased away right now in our soul. If we can receive this understand this and appreciate it, the darkness is, is leaving right now. Jesus is your creator. He's your sustainer. He's your giver. He's your light. Why do we need motivation to love him? Why does it seem like every week, every morning, I have to kickstart love for that Lord when he's my very existence? See, the point of today is, is very simple. I don't have a ton of application points for you today. The point today is very simple. I want us to awe. I want us to bask in the glory of Jesus. The duty will come. The duty in how to follow Jesus will come in a very detailed manner. But unless we can grasp The glory and magnificence of Jesus following him is not going to happen. See, John is one who sat at the feet of Jesus and he awed and he basked at his beauty. And when Jesus left the earth, you know what John did? When Jesus left the earth, John grabbed his sword, he grabbed his shield, and he fought for that Jesus for the rest of his life. Do you know why? He was convinced. He was convinced that that Jesus was not just a man, not just a good teacher not just a wise person. He was convinced that he was serving the king of the universe. And when John was convinced, he gave his entire life to it. And he died doing that very thing. The king of all creation is what we're talking about today. All other kings are going to bow to this king. Guys, I have six kids. I have six kids. And sometimes, if I'm honest, it's hard to get to every kid and spend quality time with every child. That's a lot of children. So sometimes I, I spend time with more children than the other. It just happens that way. I don't mean it for that to happen that way. And sometimes I have to specially segment a day or a time of that day for every specific child. I have one Lord. I have one God. And he holds me together. He created me. He redeemed me. And he's saying to us today, I am God. There is no other. I hold you together. I love you more than you can ever possibly know. Don't forget me. Don't neglect me. Give everything to me. Who are you serving today? And I'm not asking who you claim to serve. I'm asking who do you serve? Do you serve something man-made and temporal that did nothing to bring you into existence? That is doing nothing to sustain you, nothing to provide you? I like sports but we give our worship and our praise to athletes who have no idea I even exist. They don't think about me. They don't care if I leave this planet. They don't care if something bad happens to me. They don't even know me. And I give them my praise and my worship. And the Lord of all creation sustains me this very moment. He guides me. He teaches me. He protects me from evil. Are you convinced like John was, and are you willing to follow Jesus like John was to the ends of the earth? Because he's God. He's life. He's life. He's the light of the world. He's your creator and your savior. And if you're not ready and willing to follow Jesus, ask the hard question today, like I asked myself at age 26. Why not? Why not? Not only why aren't you serving the Lord, but why don't you want to? Ask the hard question, because you'll get to a good place. God will eventually reveal to you what you need to do. See, a preacher like me, I can only proclaim the truth. I can't make you grab it. I can't make you grab hold of it with a grasp like John did, okay? That's up to you. But if you grab a hold of this truth so tightly and never let it go, you will be ready to go even deeper next week. And then once you do, you'll be ready to follow that master. That's the goal here. So next week's lesson, we're going to go a little bit deeper, which sounds amazing because we've gone very deep already. And then the following week, we will be starting to be instructed on how to follow that master, what it looks like to follow him. And we hope you would join us on this powerful lesson of following the master. And before we close, I want to read the portion we started with, John 1, 1 to 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Don't get distracted by the noise. Don't get distracted by the frustrating things of life. Look up today in awe and bask in the beauty of Jesus and your perspective will change. It will change. Are you ready to follow that leader no matter what it costs? Because he's worthy of it. And maybe like the old songwriter said, we'll say this as well. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him. In his presence daily live. I surrender all. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, and we thank you for the opportunity to study him today. He is awesome. He is glorious. He is beautiful. And I know... We just scratched the surface. This is the tip of the iceberg, but thank you for that understanding. I pray for every soul here who is listening that we would, our perspective would be changed if it needs to be. And we would look to Jesus. We would consider his worth and his value to our soul and we'd make the obvious consideration that he deserves everything. Even God the Father gave him everything. We are his creation. We have been redeemed. We are sustained and provided for right this very moment in every day of our lives. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Help us to go from this place different than we were before. We give you all honor and glory. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.